Today's program is brought to you by Austin East Ciders. For more information, visit their website at austineastciders.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. It has been an awesome and fun week. And yeah. uh, we're back. This is our first time. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's my first time back for fall season because I was in San Francisco for work last week. Yeah. Thanks for holding down the fort last week, Chris. Yeah. No problem. A good thanks job. for those interviews you guys took at uh, Boston uh, Ferments. Uh, we do have a couple time. interviews left, so yeah. we will air those uh, soon in, in the, the future. Season. Yeah. I will say, uh, so San Francisco, I was at a work meeting. I did not get to go to any breweries or anything like that, but I did get to have a couple of local beers. So I got to give a shout out. I had a Magnolia California Kolsch from Magnolia Brewing Company, a really lovely salted cucumber beer from Fieldwork Brewing Company, which is a newer brewery in um, in Berkeley. And of course, I had the obligatory Russian uh, Russian River Pliny the Elder, which was delicious, as delicious as I remembered. Uh, all right, so we've had an action-packed couple of weekends before and after my trip to San Francisco. So I got to give a shout-out. Uh, we headed to Captain Lawrence Brewing Company, which is here in Elmhurst, New York. Elmhurst is right, right? I believe so. I always get that mixed that up. It is a place. Yeah. Uh, that was the Saturday before last. They had their Soured in September festival, and Chris and I drank some really excellent uh, sour beers, both made locally and from all over the place. So kudos. It was hot as hell. It was a 96-degree heat index. <laughs> Great day for sour beer. Yeah, but there was plenty of shade, and I got to give kudos to the Captain Lawrence crew. They had a ton. Um, they had ke- hand-pump kegs of water in ev- like all over the place. So it was great. I yeah. basically drank a glass of a sample glass full of water between every beer sample and I survived pretty well. But uh but that's always good to see a ton of water available at a brew fest. Damn straight. Um Let's talk about what we did this weekend. Oh, our friend John and Jess here in Greenpoint uh neighborhood of Brooklyn had they grew some massive cascade hop plant in their backyard. So this is a Brooklyn cascade hop and it was so big that they invited a bunch of people over for a barbecue and hop harvesting party. So we were there on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, and we harvested 11 pounds of fresh wet hops. From the backyard in Brooklyn. Yes. To Greenpoint, I mean. Greenpoint. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Greenpoint, so um, they vacuum sealed everything, and we brought home three bags with us, put them in the freezer for use to be determined. Uh, uh, <laughs> they were half-pound bags, so, you know, it was great. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm responding to charades in the room. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Recently, uh, we were over. I was over at another friend's house. We had watermelon during the day. So I took the rind home with me and I had never made pickled watermelon rind, but I decided to try it and it was very successful. I shouted that out last week, by the way. We were inspired by Jeff on that um, uh, from the gefilte talk. 
Yeah. Uh, but Jeffrey, from, uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey. Yeah. Yeah. I also, um, I found a recipe uh, on a blog called Lisa's Counter Culture. So I kind of based it around that. So I did a one gallon batch and I made about a half a gallon brine that covered that covered all the watermelon I had in a one gallon jar. So I used about 40 grams of sea salt, three cloves of garlic, a tablespoon of fresh grated ginger, around a teaspoon of mixed peppercorns, and three dried Dundicut peppers. That's a Pakistani pepper that's really nice. Um, and it turned out really well. And it turns out that that brine is the excellent brine. for picklebacks. So we <laughs> brought some. <laughs> Pickle watermelon, picklebacks. So we had. After um, day of harvesting hops. Exactly. We had some picklebacks with the uh, pickled watermelon brine. Um, after hop harvesting on Saturday, and it was delicious. Uh, Sunday morning, we I did we did a charity walk in the Bronx, the New York Botanic Garden in the Bronx, and I realized that we were super close to Yonkers Brewing Company, Charif. which is a uh, brew pub brewery in Yonkers, in New Yonkers. York. That's uh, not technically New York City, but it is a very short train ride. They are right by the station. So they have food. We had brunch and beers, and it was excellent. It was awesome. We've been wanting to get up there for a long time, but I would say if you're headed to New York City, that is definitely worth a trip. Short rib eggs Benedict was crushing. Yep. Crushing. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and they had a, that, oh, what was my favorite beer? The Rauk, Rauchweizen. Rauk yeah, the Rauchweizen, yeah. Yeah, which was really lovely. Was beautiful. And then last night, uh, we headed over but, to Rockaway Brew Co. But after that, we went to the LIC Flea for the uh, Asian oh, yeah. Food Festival put on by Joe DiStefano, and that was worth noting because he does a lot of really fun food festivals in, in, uh, in all of Queens and celebrates yep. uh, He is a Queens food, food expert. We're going to have him on later this season. Uh, he's doing a cheese fest event in Queens, I think in December. So we're going to have him on before that to talk about all kinds of fermented food that he finds in Queens um, and also about his event. So look for that in like probably November. Uh, okay, so last night we headed to Rockaway Brew Co. Flint, who is in charge of the tasting room over there, is a great guy. We had him on the our Pruno show recently. He did a mead tasting. So he uh, partnered up with Rob DeShack of Skyline Honey, who is a local home uh, beekeeper. I think he has hives on the Lower East Side here mm-hmm. in Manhattan. And he made, Flint made seven different meads or, or variations of mead, and we got to taste them. It was an awesome event. It was in their uh, Rockaway's upstairs private space, and uh, he had a variety of stuff, including a sou- two braggots, including a, a sour stout, as well as a variety of other sizers and meads. And anyway, it was a lot of fun and some really good stuff. Complete and, uh, with Viking horns to drink. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, last but not least, I am doing a cider class. It was originally scheduled for this Wednesday at Bitter and Esther's. We have changed that to next Wednesday on the 28th. It is $50. We're going to talk. I'm going to teach how to make cider, all kinds of ciders. We'll talk about how to judge and evaluate your cider, um, how to source juices, choose your yeast, etc. I have made four ciders to pour, and then I will also be pouring uh, several of Descendant Ciders from Jaheel Maplestone and crew. Which is a uh, queen cidery. Speaking of events, I've got three, and we're gonna do it real quick so we can get into our show. This Wednesday on uh, the twenty second, uh, Brumosity is happening uh, at Littlefield in in Brooklyn, and it's an evening of craft beer tasting for the benefit of Leukemia and Lymphonia Society. Uh, so enjoy the artisanry of thirty six different home brewers hailing from clubs across the greater New York area. Admission includes unlimited beer, open bar for alternative refreshments. Uh, the brewers will compete for different prizes. Uh, it's going to be a really great time. It's for a great cause. You can go to Littlefield. NYC.com to check that out. Next up, Poor Mania uh, on Saturday, October 1st from 1 to 5 p.m. on Staten Island, a flagship brewery. Um, it is another 
uh, it's Poor Standards Homebrew Club. Um, it's the third one of its, of its time. Last year was a blast. This year's going to be great. It is also a, uh, it's a charity, and it basically, they, 25% of this is going to uh, SICAW, which is Staten Island Animal Rescue Organization. Um, and it's $25 includes, uh, or $25 early bird, $30 will get closer. Um, that's October 1st. The home musicians will be playing. We'll be playing a set in there along with a couple other other bands. So we're really looking forward to it. We don't take ourselves very seriously at all. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. Then, uh, speaking of animals, we have Beer for Beasts happening on October 15th, uh, at, uh, put on by Six Point, and that is going to be at the Bell House. A lot of different collaborations are happening there, and that is also to benefit and uh, rescued animals and uh, battered animals, uh, abused animals. So check that out. Uh, you can go to beerforbeasts.com. All right. And uh, while you uh, guys were trekking around uh, New York last week, I was... Trekking around Philadelphia, and I managed to get in a couple of years while I was there. Uh, so I went to check out Philadelphia's uh, uh, barcade in Fishtown, and I had in, <laughs> I think it was Oscar Blue's Burrito, because I liked the name a lot, so shout out to them. And uh, I got to the uh, Philadelphia Honey Festival, and they were pouring some, not meads, but beers brewed with honey. Uh, so I had some from the St. Benjamin's Brewery and some from the Philly Homebrew Outlet, who did a collaboration. And uh, then I also got to go to uh, the Dock Street uh, Brewery, which was around the corner from my friend in uh, West Philadelphia. And uh, they were really nice. They had born something on tap. <laughs> she was not born and raised in West Philadelphia. Uh, but uh, they had something on, on tap called, like, uh, called Friends Don't Let Friends Vote Drumpf, Man Full of Promises <laughs> Stout. Well <done. laughs> well and we just had to order that because the description was really silly. Um, so that's what I had in uh, Philadelphia. Um, and uh, uh, for events, next week I'm actually teaching a kombucha workshop on the 27th at 7 p.m. at the Park Slope Moisha House. And when I find out where that is, I will let you know. <laughs> How do we find out more information about that? to come? Uh, so there should be a Facebook event, and uh, I guess you just uh, will search kombucha workshop Moisha House. That's M-O-I-S-H-E house. Moisha. Moisha House. Moisha. Love it. Exactly. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know, maybe, um, geez, really long time ago, we were hanging out and tasting a lot of homebrews from around this town. There are a lot of young bucks up and coming. Barry and I were deeply involved with the New York City Homebrewers Guild, still are. Um, We were starting to host events uh, with with Get Real Presents, uh, doing events around the thing. I think that our guest, the first time I met him, I think we met maybe at Brooklyn Homebrew's first Brooklyn Wort. And I met our guest at a Brooklyn Rot meeting at the old beer Wow, backwards yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is the voice of Jesse Ferguson, now of Interborough Spirits yeah. and Ales. Jesse, thanks for having me, guys. It's it, fun. Man. It has been a fun ride um, yeah. watching watching your I... growth and development. Um, this is beer is not your first life. What? Let's start at the beginning, man, real quick. What did you do before? Because there's a connection that we have from from your previous life that now it's all coming full circle. It's fun. Well, I was born. (laughs) It's your mom. Yeah, that's it. That's the connection. Um, So, yeah. So thank you for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about Interborough and everything that's gotten me to Interborough, brewing in Brooklyn, Um, back to brewing in Brooklyn. Um, 
So my previous job was uh, I helped start and found Def Jux Records uh-huh. in uh, 2000 or 1999, I suppose. And um, I was DJing, and that would led me to meet a lot of people, one of whom is Bisque One, mm-hmm. who recently did a bunch of really incredible art on the walls at Innerborough, and you and Bisque used to do freestyle, freestyle sessions Mondays, together. Freestyle Mondays. Mondays. Yeah, man. And what was the name of the spot? Uh, well, it, we went through a couple different places, but it used to start, it started at Sin Sin back right, on Sin Sin. Fifth, Fifth Street and Second Avenue. Yeah, Sin Sin. Back in the day, yep. Um, yeah, so I spent from 2000 to 2009 uh, helping to produce and uh, sell and work with the artists on Def Jux. And, and then, and that was pretty awesome because at first we had a lot of really incredible records um we always had incredible records but at first we had incredible records that sold really well because people (laughs) still bought cds and then around 2005 people just quit buying cds and um so then the, the the label went out of business unfortunately in 2009 and uh at that point i had a nine month old son um and i'd been home brewing for i probably seriously for maybe a year or two at that point probably probably a year at that point my buddy chris and i had built a uh fermentation chamber a a cooled fermentation chamber in our basement that could hold eight carboys and so we were doing temperature controlled fermentation on a brew a week basically or or more if we could um and right and i my so i've got family that works in a brewery I worked at a brewery at the time down at Terrapin in Georgia. My sister and my brother-in-law. Um, my sister still works at Terrapin. My brother-in-law now works at Creature Comforts. Uh-huh. Um, and I asked them when Jux was like, because I was pretty involved, so I knew we were going to go out of business. <laughs> I was looking at the books like, we're going to run out of money. <laughs> there's, a, there's a problem here, and you're not going to be able to pay me anymore. Right. Um, and so uh, I asked them, like, hey, what would it take to get into the brewing business? And they said, it's impossible. Everybody wants to be a brewer. Nobody will just give you a job. And I met with Shane. Uh, I knew Shane Welch pretty, pretty well at that point, point, at Six Point, because of some collaborations we had done through music and beer. Mm-hmm. Um, Granddad's Nerve Tonic. Shout out to Junk Science and Beercraft. Um, <laughs> and Shane was like, I'll introduce you. I can't. He's like, I don't hire the brewers here. Craig and Evan hire the brewers here. And they've got a list of people to become brewers. But I'll introduce you to Mike Lavolo at <laughs> Union. And maybe you can go learn how to be, work in distribution. And Mike Lavolo, shout out, actually got me an interview at Union at that point. And they went in and they offered me a job merchandising in South Brooklyn at grocery stores. Okay. And I said, you guys have a car? I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then a buddy of mine uh, got me a job at another record label, and I made it through a year, um, at at which point Augie Carton, um, who is a friend of my wife's um, husband, who they've known each other forever, and I had been, he and I had known each other since 2000, or yeah, right around 2001. Um... And we, I started, we would go down to New Jersey and bring, I'd bring bottles of homebrew and then I'd bring kegs of homebrew and and then we'd go to his cousin's house, Chris, and they were, and they decided that they were going to open a brewery in New Jersey and I was going to be the brewer. 
And my reaction was, sure, do that. Let's, <laughs> let's do that. And Aug, the way Augie tells the story to this day is that he had to convince me to be a brewer. And it, it did take a lot of convincing because it meant I had to completely rearrange my life when I had a young child. And, and you know, and, and it, was, it was a big decision. Um, but it was thrilling. And we opened Carton in 2011. Um, and right away started selling a lot of boat and 077. And after six months we were in New York and then we were selling boat in 077 yeah, in New York. And I was getting a drink boat in Brooklyn where I still lived and, uh, it was awesome. And yeah, I mean, and that was, and that was a good ride. And, and yeah. And then, yeah. And then after about four years, my wife and I decided that there was no way we were going to move to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, commuting three hours a day for the rest of my life wasn't going to be an option right. um, at all. Um, and I started to try and figure out what the next steps for me was going to, were going to be. And I, uh, through my wife's nephew, uh, who's older than us because it's my wife's half-sister, <laughs> it's more complicated, <laughs> um, met uh, Laura Dirks, and who, who she had... She was interested in opening a distillery, and we met, and we started talking about distilling, which I knew virtually nothing about, um, and the similarities between distilling and, and what we what we discovered was that, you know, th- there's beer, and then there's whiskey, and they you know you make one in order to make the other, and, and we started to look at equipment and redundancy and and the capabilities of building a facility where we both brew and distill. And uh, she had a lawyer who she was in contact with who um, was able to sort of pre-flight with the TTB the, the, and the, 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 whether it would be feasible to build a facility with the two. And that lawyer came back and said, there's no problem with the TTB as long as you can pay your taxes on time. So then we really started to um, really, you know, started kind of, think about it seriously and I went ahead and uh, quit Carton which was hard because I really enjoyed it there sure um, in December of 15 14 14 yes 14. Yep. And, 14 and then and then Sam and Matt uh, and I quit and I told Sam and Matt first the other half <laughs> at, at other half sorry yeah so the night that threes opened the night the threes at least opened as far as I was concerned because the first time anybody had ever invited me there. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of people there, and they'd probably all been there Throughout before, the year, but right. it was just when they told me. Um, and I was, uh, you know, it, it was a big decision, and I was, and I, and I was happy that I had made the decision. Um, so I told Sam and Matt and Jeff O'Neill, and they were like, so what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm going to open a brewery. And uh, they're like, what are you really going to do? <laughs> so then Sam and Matt offered me a job uh, brewing uh, at Other Half. And I started there in um, March or late February or something like that. And they were cool. They were awesome. They, um, they knew I was going to try and start a brewery. And they figured it would take me longer than it did. And, but they were super supportive, and they still are. And um, around July we found the space and then everything sort of tumbled in after that. Um, and I left other half in December of last year and then we opened in August. So that's like the, 
that short version. Sure, no, that's a, that's a perfect, that's a perfect version. We're gonna take a really quick break, and then we're gonna talk all about uh, now what's happening at Interbro and and where uh, you know, cool. future Thank now you. and future. You're the best, dude. Thanks. What man about? Are you an East Sider? We live on the east side of town. Our shipping container studios are at Roberta and Bushwick, across the East River, separating New York City and Brooklyn. In all my recent travels, it seems like the east side of town is the cool side of town in cities across the country. East Nashville is full of musicians and weird bars. The up-and-coming neighborhood around 8th Street in D.C., on the east side, is overflowing with exciting food and nightlife. The best hidden spots and funky artists in New Orleans are in the Maronian Bywater, which, yup, is the east side of town. So, as east siders, we love drinks that represent our values. And nothing is more fitting than a cool, refreshing can of Austin east siders. That's east cider with a C. As the name implies, it is cider, and it's handmade on, you guessed it, the east side of Austin, Texas, using bittersweet and bittersharp cider apples. Cider apples are full of tannins, adding astringency and complexity of flavor to every sip. Austin East Ciders uses a mixture of European and Pacific Northwest apples to achieve ultimate flavor. Austin East Ciders is available in a few different variations, including original flavor, Texas honey, and two new additions, hopped and pineapple. Here at Heritage Radio, we love Austin East Ciders with some ribs, pulled pork, and even pizza especially Roberta's Pizza. You can find out more at austineastsiders.com and remember to hashtag Eastsiders to show your Eastside pride. You can also find Austin Eastsiders on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Welcome back to From Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are here in the studio with Jesse Ferguson of Interborough Spirits and Ales, New York City's newest brewery uh, as of and this distillery. date. And distillery. Well, this and only. Date, New York City's September only. September 19th. Combined yeah, we're the only New York City yeah. brewery and distillery. Yeah, so tell yeah. us about that licensing. How did that even come about, and what made you decide to do that? Um, as I alluded to, um, my partner, Laura, you know, was interested in, in whiskey and and um you know in craft distilling in general um and so we sort of discovered that you know we could we could do it by work with working with a, a lawyer who was able to talk to the ttb and clarify that yes you can in fact run both facilities in the same facility or, or both both licenses really as it were a distilled spirit permit and a brewer's permit from the federal government and then new york state we're lucky new york state has some of the most progressive laws in in the country um and so new york state was also you know amenable to to the to both of the permits existing in the same facility as well and, and you actually still have doing, four licenses yes, that's <laughs> yeah. so the four licenses you have licenses. right so we have a, a just a micro distiller and a farm distiller and we have a micro brewer and a farm uh brewer we actually have a fifth license which is pending um uh, the final DOB work, which will be a full-on premise. So we actually have okay. five licenses oh. with the SLA 
two permits with the federal government. Um, yeah, it definitely complicated things in terms of, of uh, getting getting a, a approval from the feds once we the, the, your packet sits on somebody's desk for a long time like they have a guaranteed window that they'll you know address your your application within and for the most part the i, I don't know just an estimate 95 percent of that time is it's just sitting on somebody's desk and then they finally look at it and then they and then they basically just you've got two weeks to get it done or you've got you've got two weeks to respond and then every time you respond they the amount of time you have to respond gets lesser and lesser so it was like okay here's our issues and it was a laundry list of issues and laura and our and our uh, lawyer sort of addressed them and then it was like okay here's our new issues and now instead of 14 days to respond you have two days to respond and so it gets it but it's great because at that point in the process you're all you know as a small business you know owner or soon to be small business owner you're all you are is waiting right for everybody to finish <laughs> yeah. their jobs and that one is the one that you have to wait on the federal government for and when the, the new york state had already gotten back to us months before saying you will approve this and that was a huge day for us too just because going into this whole thing it was like yeah right they're 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 gonna say yeah sure sure they are like i was just waiting for them to come back and be like who do you think you are like <laughs> why you and it, nobody else why right? do you think you can do this um but they didn't right new york state came back and said okay just the feds have to sign off now because they, they sort of work, they rely on each other in a lot right. of ways yeah. right um so they came back and said that we could. And so then it was like, all right. And then I was just like, all right, the other shoe to drop, right? Like the feds, like, what do you think you're doing? You can't, <laughs> you can't make these things. And what it came down to was a lot of, I mean, what it is, is it's an alternating premise, right? So all of our equipment alternates except the still and the finished goods storage for the still. And a couple things um, that we've designated as beer or brewery only. So the cold room, because the still spirits will never need to go in the cold room. And, um, and then some packaging areas right. that are brewery only. So, but the rest of the equipment, the mash tun, the hot liquor tank, the kettle, all of the fermenters, um, even the bright, are are considered alternating use. So they could be used for a brewery on one day or a distillery on the other day. So because because the process for us is um, is to make beer. You know, we start out making beer, um, we don't hop it, and then we but we ferment it with brewer's yeast. Um, and then charge the still with it and boil the alcohol off. So the only point at which the product becomes distillery only is when it goes into the still. Right. Or, and then comes out. And speaking of the beer that you make, you just poured us a really freaking delicious beer yeah. Uh, yeah. called Halftime, right? Tell us about yeah, this tell beer. tell us about this beer. Um, so Halftime is uh, a malt bill of uh, Czech pills um, and uh, German Vienna malt. Um, just a touch of Vienna, not a lot. It's primarily Pilsner. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, it's hopped with Cascade and um, Galaxy in the kettle. Late, all late editions. And then it was dry hopped with Citra. All late editions, like starting at 10? Uh, I believe uh, it was Cascade at 10 and Galaxy at Whirlpool. Cool. Yeah, no, it's delicious. Thank Back you. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, it's 4% then? alcohol. 4% crushable. Yeah, yeah. So it's 10 Play-Doh starting gravity, and it finished under two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember exactly where. So you've been making beer for a very long time. Uh, wh- how have you uh, researched on, on the the distilling part? I mean, which certainly is... And from, from coming from 
I mean, I don't know how many friends you've had uh, prior to Laura in the distilling uh, community. In beer, we're very open with our with our knowledge and sharing. Yeah. Um, what are you finding? In, well, in when when world? Laura and I first met, we were working with um, a. Uh, a gentleman who had been an assistant distiller. So mm-hmm. he was really, and he was interested in getting involved and then, uh, you know, decided he couldn't be involved. Um, and so he really helped, um, he really helped me sort of make the connection between with the equipment and, and the steps in the equipment. Um, I attended a, uh, sort of a, uh, crash course on mm-hmm. distilling in, in Kentucky called Moonshine University and it was <laughs> I didn't know his name that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but it was awesome I mean they had really good people there we, they, had, they had like the barrel master from Brown Foreman came and, and taught us about you know or did a two hours about um, you know about barrel selection and, and barrel aging and the distiller the head distiller from Corsair was there to do a oh, whole yeah. a whole um, two hour or longer presentation about gin we actually made gin on on bench just on bench stills um, there was a gentleman there who you know basically spent three or four hours telling us about rum and and walking us through rum production uh, and then they had an actual like 240 gallon still and mash cooker there so we did a mash we did a corn mash um some pretty incredible stuff like they would you know we put in however many hundred pounds of corn ground corn cornmeal brought it to boil and then dropped the temperature to sacrification to add the malt and uh you know how you can hear a pump working or a motor working rather like so it's spinning the whole time because it's it's boiling corn, right? And you can't let it stick to the sides of the kettle. Oh, wow. And uh, it's for a while, right? They got to get it up to boil, and then they keep it there for a certain amount of time to gelatinize it and free up the sugars, break down all the proteins, and then they start cooling it, right? And they're cooling it with water. They're cool. They didn't have. They didn't even have. They had a, a water, a water tower is how they is how they cooled rather an air cooled water tower rather and they had a glycol system as well but they didn't use the glycol to chill the water per se they used the glycol for the condenser water but not for the kettle water i believe for the the cooker water so it took a while to cool down. So the cooker just, jacketed then yeah so it's jacketed it's the cold steamed, water so their their cooker steam jacketed well what honestly in in Kentucky distilling they intend most places with the cookers actually just blow steam in right they just mm-hmm. they, the steam supply just goes straight into the to, to the mash to, to the mash itself yeah and that's how they heat yeah. it up and then it's jacketed to cool it down okay. okay um so they're really concerned about the cleanliness of their steam on some level right but so they're cooling down the motor and then all of a sudden they throw the malt in right and all of a sudden it, goes, it just starts spinning <laughs> so much faster yeah. the, the the conversion happened instantly it was like they basically put malt powder in like they the huh. distillers will grind they're they're, so they're grinding crush. to flour basically yeah they're grinding to okay. flour their crush is so much finer than it because they don't water right so there's yeah. no it's right. just it's just porridge um but the conversion was instant you know brewers sit around talking about how oh i need a 30 minute rest i need a 45 minute rest i need a 90 minute rest and 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 if, with a coarser crush obviously there's going to be a longer, you know, there's there's carbohydrates in the endosperm that they're not going to access right. as quickly, right? Um, but yeah, this was crazy. It was I had never seen <laughs> conversion demonstrated so uh, so clearly and instantly. Um, but yeah, it was in terms of like distillers that I know, I, I could count it on one hand. Honestly, right. I, it's right. not. Uh, 
I really I meant to spend the last two years making some good friends in the distilling world. And, you know, the guys over in New York Distilling have been super helpful. Um, uh, folks at uh, Kings County have been helpful when, you know, when it came to talking about uh, safety was one of the big concerns we sure. had, especially during build-out. Because what it came down to was I had questions about really practical stuff when, you know, when, you know, when we were actually building, like, what do we do? You know what I mean? Like, what do we, how do we make sure that this is going to be a safe place to work? And so the, the, those folks were really helpful. The stills have like different lighting requirements. Like you have to have different kind of lights and stuff, right? You know, anything that's within, you know, an eight foot or 12 foot radius, it has to be explosion proof. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because it, it, because it's a, it's a, um, you know, it has a flat, pure ethyl alcohol has a flashpoint, whereas beer is not. It's a different hazard level in terms of the uh, containers of liquid and stuff. So, right. Um, so are you grinding fine then? I, I'm not fermenting on. I'm not fermenting on grain at the moment. So right. everything that I'm making, I'm laudering. Right. So I'm making. I'm literally making beer, and then right. the Scotch and the Japanese, uh, or Scottish and the Japanese, are both making whiskey that's laudered. Um, so in my mind for these initial experiments that I need to be able to produce and, and get out, I'm, I'm lottering and I'm making beer and I'm sure. controlling fermentation in a way that I'm super familiar with. Right. Whereas mm -hmm. fermenting on grain presents a whole bunch of new challenges in terms of fermentation in particular, um, in that, um, all the solids in the mash will pull the yeast out and you end up with lag fermentations unless you've got the ability to agitate huh. to, throughout the fermentation. So a lot of distillers, the guy who designed my still, who was a, another person who's been a huge resource to me, um, Rob Castle um, in, from, in Philadelphia, um, he, uh, all his fermenters have agitators. So they've got mixers, motor, you know, big two or three horsepower. And he's using small fermenters, so they're made, I think they're probably... 10 barrel um, and they're not conical and but they've got motors on the mounts on the top of them and, and with big mixers and and they're keeping the mash moving the whole during the entire fermentation okay, from, wow. and I've heard uh, stories of what other people do um, if they don't have agitators is they'll set up recirculation of the mash during the entire fermentation through a pump sure. which it sounds like a it's it sounds like a nightmare to me because if you go home and it gets clogged and it something backs up and you've got a pump on and, and pressure building and a fermentation, yeah, you know, I, you come in and it's everywhere. Like, I, you know, it's just not, you know, interest, I'm not interested in that. Right. But that's speeding up fermentation and keeping the yeast. It's in keep, yeah, exactly. Keeping it's yeast. keeping yeast in suspension and, and making sure you get as much convert or, um, efficiency or yield out of your fermentation as possible in the form of alcohol production. Right. So, cause that's what distillers that, are after, right? right? Is produce as much alcohol. And on some level, a lot of distillers are after pr the production of as much, um, phenolic and esters as they can too. Right. Because all the compounds that you create during fermentation become, have vaporization points and can become a com compounds that are present in your distillate. Right. Diacetyl, acetaldehyde, amyl acetate, um, and so if you can ferment hot and get your yeast to do a lot of that stuff, then it, it, if you're looking for a really complex profile, especially to put down in a barrel, then you can access all those compounds. Um, but, you know, it, it, there, you could also have sulfur production, and nobody wants sulfur. You know what I mean? So yeah. You want a sulfur gin, for instance. Yeah, well, you still will pull the sulfur out, hopefully, because that's, right. that's the coppers there for. Um, 
but it's one less but thing it's to still, deal with. it's going to reduce your efficiency on the yield because it's going to get you're going to get more tails and lots of copper or sorry, lots of sulfur. Right. So you have it. You made a gin so far that, or at least that's available. In right. The so room. we. So I did a, a mash of of barley and wheat. Um, that uh, I think I used check pills <laughs> and like uh, pills. and laudered it and fermented it with yeast that I got from uh, other half because that was the be- closest most available yeast because this was, it was the very first thing that I did on the system once yeah. we got open because yeah. um, I because I figured we didn't know when we were actually going to sell at that point still because we had been approved by the state but it was pending the Fed and it was also pending like submission of. Uh, workers' comp insurance or some, right. you know, some other thing that they like won't give you your license unless you have. So I figured if I got something into a fermenter that I could then distill, it would give me more time to, to play around with the still because I had never fired it up before. Um, so I did a mash of barley and wheat and fermented it with the yeast and made, I think it was a 6 or 7% beer and then ran... So the the still is a third the capacity of the fermenters, so it's roughly ten barrels, and and this. Um, so I had to run all thirty barrels had to go through the still once at in a stripping run. So it was t- three ten barrel stripping runs, where I then yielded low wines, which are um, I got you know imagine you get about thirty percent at about forty percent alcohol, or no sorry twenty five percent alcohol. So I did three stripping runs on that beer, and then I had about 150 gallons of 25% alcohol, and um, and then did a spirit run, and yielded again about a 30% volumetric reduction with a, a at a, a much higher proof, um, around 75% alcohol, and then distilled that again with a bucket full of. Juniper and coriander and angelica root and licorice root. So how did that work? Uh, did you, did you basically now you have seventy five percent alcohol and you basically uh, just uh, turned it into an extract by by letting it soak on. The no, yeah. so put it back into the still, cut it to fifty percent alcohol because okay. some of the some of those botanicals are have water soluble characteristics. Gotcha. And some of them have alcohol soluble characteristics. So you want when people make gin, they use they, they usually cut to fifty percent. Okay. Um, so if you were like buying neutral grain spirit at 190 proof, 95% alcohol, um, you would then you you almost double volumetrically what you charge to still with with half your you put the equal amount of water as alcohol in essentially, and then you'd put your your botanical load in, and then you just redistill it. You run another complete you, you vaporize all the alcohol off again in the presence of all the. Uh, botanicals. Does it matter the contact time on the botanicals? I, I don't know. Not sure yet. <laughs> There's people who use um, gin baskets, and so that's like where you've got the column coming off the top of the or the, or the head coming off the top of the still. Sometimes they'll have a, a almost like a, um, a hop back. Sure. So it's a basket where they can put the botanicals in, and the, instead okay. of the. So what I made was like a macerated st- uh, gin, right? The, where the, the where the um, botanicals were actually in with the alcohol while it, while it boiled. So that's a lot of contact, right? Sure. It was in there for. I mean, it was probably six hours, right? And it was just boiling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to get certain things out of those botanicals. In that case, you might not if you had it up in a basket on the side of the head, and all that went through the Running botanicals through. was vapor, right? Um, so. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. There's just things that, yeah. you know. Well, dude, it's I, a fun, I'm gonna find a fun out. adventure to get into, yeah. man. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was delicious. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's a, it's a very grain-forward yeah. gin. It's like a, Dutch, a traditional Dutch gin. Right, so we're calling it like a Jennifer. Yeah. yeah. Um, or a Dutch, or double Dutch. Like, Laura's found all these cool old, like, uh, um, sort of old New Amsterdam-type uh, documents about gin and... Uh, um, just the process and and but yeah double distillation was standard for uh american gin you know in the colonial period because they were doing mashes and then following a mashup with a, a, a distillation with the botanical um so yeah it's really grain forward it's got a lot of of compounds in it that you know aren't in vodka and aren't you know aren't going to be in like your average sort of london dry or something so this is all really fun and we can come taste these at your Tasting room. Tell us about the space and and what you envision for for the tasting room. What are your hours? What are you serving there? Are you are you serving this gin? And what do you hope? Yeah, to have um, as far as diversity. So the tasting room right now is open uh, Thursday and Friday from uh, five to ten. Saturday noon to ten. Sunday noon to six. Um, right now, in terms of spirits, we have the one. Uh, we have the gin. We're serving it um, neat, at one ounce pour or. Uh, you know, gin and tonic that we were pouring on draft. Um, we have seven beers that I've brewed at the brewery um, at Interboro, uh, including halftime. And uh, well, I'm sorry, we only have six now because we we poured through all the premier kegs. Oh, that, those are delicious. <laughs> but you can some of them. I've brought some cans. So you're so canning as well with that. We can't. We can premiere. We're going to can again in October at some point. Another beer called the next episode. So that'll yes. be. Ding, the next ding, beer. Ding, ding. Um, yeah, hold up, hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I've got uh, a Cezanne, which I brought tonight. I don't know if we're talking a lot. but uh, and, and I brought, and we uh, have a Bring That Beat Back, which is a collaboration with the other half, which we brewed at at Interboro. And what hops are in that? Why is it named Bring That Beat Back? <laughs> Simcoe and Amarillo. <laughs> Bring That Beat yeah. Back. Bring yeah, it old back. school. Classic. Yeah, yeah. and then Lottie Dottie is the session that has the old school Amarillo plus the new school Equinox. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 4.5%. And uh, here come the drums, which is, I'm calling like an East Coast IPA, and it's kind of a throwback too, I think, in the sense that most people these days are making these juice bombs, these cloudy juice bombs, and and here come the drums is crystal clear, mm-hmm. nice sort of amber color. And uh, somebody had uh, reviewed something on Untapped today as un unforgivably clear. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like you can suffer like, for that. You, you can about? suffer <laughs> for that shit. Oh, how things have turned in the last year. Or well, so. my joke is that like I spent five years at Carton trying to get boat clear. Yeah. And now really? two years later, yeah. it, you know, at two years later, like. It, you know, all people brewers want are adding is, flour to their beer. Yeah, to hey, get it and so I'm pouring so, a beer at, at Interboro that Greg Dorowski and I and Joel from Threes brewed, where we put 50 pounds of flour in. Yeah, sort of just for the and tongue it's a lager. It's a hoppy lager. It's yeah, a northeast it's a style lager. <laughs> yes, yeah. I got to say it's I delicious. It. I had it, it at, at the brewery. I uh, thank delicious. you. I've been drinking a lot of it. Um, I like it. It was Galaxy and Amarillo, so you can't really yeah. go wrong. Cheater, there. Uh, total cheater. <laughs> it's it, yeah. Uh, I've had some people tell me quit calling that corn lager a pills. <laughs> I don't say who, but uh, um, and I think that went through all the beers now. Oh, and then I have a collaboration with the uh, transmitter IB1, oh, yeah. which is uh, IB1 Kenobi. 
What? <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's sort of like inspired by gin. That was something where we sat down and talked about, um, you know, like what my process was going to be once we got open in Interboro and, and talking about trying to do collaborations with brewers that I could also then remake the mash and do a distillate of yeah. and then play with. I mean, my whole goal is to sort of break, is sort of blur the lines as much as possible. Um, so those guys, Robin and Anthony, of course, just like took that right up and we ended that. It's a Saison with uh, star anise and elderflower and then just like tons of grapefruit and lime and orange zest and citrus um and they fermented it i think at like 98 degrees or something ridiculous um and uh it's it's super cool it's super interesting beer and then hopefully when when they come and brew with me we'll we'll riff on that and make something i don't know if we'll make a a saison but uh we'll make something with some cool botanicals and then hopefully a gin that will also have some of the similar botanicals so Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to playing with this, you know, the ingredients that go into a mash for a distillate and the ingredients that go into a mash for a beer and then post fermentation how we can back blend and barrel age and you know um so recently I did a bunch of um apple cider distillations and I'm working on so I'm working on an apple brandy um, cuz that's what all the, that's what those uh, totes were right totes yeah right. the totes they're from Indian Ladder Farmstead uh, Stewart and Dieter um, and we actually have a beer we brewed together too which is the next thing coming out of the tank it's going to be like a a fest or uh, no harvest ale it's all their hops 50% their barley 200 pounds of their oats and then yeah well, I think I have 44 or, or more pounds of uh they nugget, Chinook, Cascade, and Centennial that they grew. And then we hopped back it through Whole Cone Centennial. Yes. And then we dry hopped it with Whole Cone Centennial um, that they grew. But so they gave me um, two totes, and I got two more totes of apple cider, hard apple cider down uh, from up, uh, from their their cidery. And uh, stripped a couple, did stripping runs on a couple of them and going to do a spirit run hopefully in a week or two and then the goal being to put enough down in a barrel in a whiskey barrel to age for a year um and then have some available as new make apple brandy as a base for some cocktails um and then but then talking about blending stuff then next year hopefully um making some pomo which is uh, uh which is barrel aged uh, apple brandy blended back with fresh cider so about 17 percent. about yeah 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 so like a wine strength more or less yeah and uh, i'm really i had some up at this great distillery um that was right in uh boston or outside boston right around the corner from night shift called short path distilling and they had a a pomo that was just incredible and they barrel aged apple brandy is pretty awesome too so yeah that's um, awesome. Yeah. That's exciting. I look forward to that next year. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's that's the thing <laughs> I keep telling people about this this project is it's going to be a lot of patience. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's a lot of long play. But you can drink delicious least, beer until, yeah, you know, exactly. while. Yeah, exactly. At least you can make while you're waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, so the tasting room is right off the L train. It's like half a block from the Grand Street L train stop, right? Is that right? Yeah. A block? So the address is 942 Grand. Um, it's... It's a, a a block and a couple of doors down yeah, super from convenient. of Bushwick and and Grand, be, um, on the south side of the street, um, Waterbury and Catherine, right? Well, no, Waterbury, right across Catherine's across the street. Catherine's across Catherine the street. and Waterbury, neither one of them cross Grand. Okay. So we're technically between Waterbury and Morgan, right? Okay. But Catherine is actually a little bit closer. 
on the other because side of the street. Because they don't, none of them, right, on the other side of the street. So it's 942 Grand Street. Nine, so. yeah. Right off the Grand Grand L train, yeah. Yep. Cool. It's a beautiful space. Yeah. I'm happy you're there. It yeah. is walking distance from our apartment, too. Because I walked home that, that first time really? I went over. We, yeah, when you were chasing me from the tank, I walked <laughs> yeah. home. That means that it's probably walking distance from Roberta's. Yes, definitely. It's definitely walking I'm walking there Roberta's. right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're we're, we're going to end up having food. We've got a oh, small yeah. kitchen, so we're going to have food. Um, and we have to do flights, which has been really popular um, for opening because I've had a lot of people come in and order two flights. Oh, do we... We're, 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 we're wrapping up. We oh, got to no, wrap up. <laughs> oh, Pierre, our engineer's now, going, no, like, like, no, no, I didn't mean it by that. That nod, that, that yawn, should I didn't mean Should we open it. another beer? Yeah. We should open okay. another beer, but we do kind but of But on that note, we're going to go. We're going to open <laughs> cans of the premiere. So you sold these cans only through the brewery, correct? So far, yeah, yeah. yeah. We okay. might sell some out into the market. But, oh, but you're a 30-barrel 30 30 barrel system, yep. right? And you've got 30-barrel fermenters. Yep. You actually uh, raised the ceiling so that you can actually yield a lot more uh, going forward. So we can expect to, over these years, at the same time as waiting for these distillates. Uh, you know, increase production, and we will have a lot of beer. Coming yeah, a lot of beer, a lot of beer. Yeah. Hopefully, we don't drink it all ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It's okay <laughs> I can't promise you. that. I cannot <laughs> promise that. Thanks so much. It's super exciting to see because it's I've you know known you since I know home brewer, since... and to see this whole progression. And yeah. I've been in Interbro three times. This is now. not the first time we've That's heard your voice exciting. on Foment about yeah. it. Actually, at CBC in, in our first year around that drunken evening uh, where we were doing interviews, I believe you helped us interview Matt Brindleson. Matt Brindleson. Oh, yeah. That's right. I <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, times. that was awesome. Good times. That's before I learned about sober interviewing <laughs> skills. I know Mary's like, I got Matt, I got Matt Brindleson outside. I, I want to have some new brewer interview him. I was like, I'll interview that. Dude. <laughs> but you were, you talked about kettle souring after Sandy. Yeah. Too, though. Yeah, and then. Kettle sour. That was the other time I. Yeah, that was I, like uh, one of our first year. Oh, both of them. No, the. Uh, yeah, so both of them are in the same year. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah awesome. we, exactly. did, we did a lot of kettle souring at Carton. I'm not sure I'm going to do a lot of kettle souring. I'm more interested in a barrel sour yeah. program at this yeah. point. But cool. So where can they find Interboro? You have Instagram, Facebook, oh, yeah. Twitter, and Interboro dot uh, NYC is the website. Interboro NYC I N T E R B O R O N Y C is the Instagram handle and the Twitter handle, and then Facebook is. Interboro NYC. I don't really know how just, to find it on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, search Interboro. I N T E R B O R. Facebook slash or yeah. something. Yeah, I don't. I can never remember just that. Just Google but. it. It's great. Yeah. The um, Google machine is your friend. Yeah, and we're on draft like all over yeah. Brooklyn and Manhattan. We've been doing wholesale deliveries now for five weeks, I think. And the other half collaboration, Bring That Beat Back, is getting delivered to bars this week. So. Fantastic. Awesome. Jesse, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. thank you guys. For men about so it. much for letting me talk. <laughs> for men about, about, about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.